El Retro Magi would like to acknowledge that all the opinions and the views expressed on Into the Ether are that of the hosts and do not reflect upon our sponsors. Thank you and enjoy. Get in and take the ride, man. Welcome back, everybody, as we take you on another trip into the ether. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Meat Popsicle, otherwise known as that guy introducing you to the forehead muscle with the CBLs. El Rocho, what's going on, man? What's going on, buddy? How you doing? I'm doing great on this beautiful Sunday, March 17th. And it's been a beautiful week all week, has it not? Almost oh, definitely, dude. I'm so glad we got out this week. Yeah, because it's just been shitty this whole winter. And we took the time to go on a hike to find a, a hidden waterfall. First yep. Creek Hills. Yep, First Creek, just about 20 minutes outside of Las Vegas. And I can't believe when we were driving out there, man, those that don't feed the wild horses and burrow sign. And I was like, <laughs> yo, like... There ain't no wild horses or burros and shit. We literally drove maybe a half a mile longer and then they were all across the road and shit. That was cool to see. Yeah, because that's not something that you see in Michigan or Florida or anywhere pretty much in the East Coast. So it was definitely an adventure to say the least. And we found this hidden waterfall in the heart of the desert. And it was literally in the middle of nowhere. Like we had to hike for like a little bit but when we got there there was it was we a kind of stumbled up upon it yeah it's funny because we took a picture beforehand at the mountain that we we're walking towards and there's no hint of a waterfall whatsoever no right nothing but the name first creek so we we didn't even think about it we were just kept on walking and following cali everywhere and all of a sudden sure shit she leads us to water <laughs> <laughs> but it was it, the water must be traveling down from the snow and the mountains in the back because like you said what Lee Canyon is right behind that yeah Lee Canyon and Mount Charleston they still have like two tons of snow. of snow yeah. yeah so that all comes down and the the water is like crystal clear and it's cold as fuck but it would definitely be a nice spot during the summertime I can't oh, wait to go back there take a trip oh yeah most definitely okay while we were on that hike we were actually talking about what we were going to talk about this weekend and psychedelics just seems to be a common theme that people want to hear about and we as two friends talk about a lot yeah most definitely it seems like and it seems like in little, every episode we talk about we've been dabbing in here or there and people we've been wanting to hear about our experiences because you know psychedelics are becoming more mainstream like it was back in the 70s now they're doing testing with like ketamine with lsd to treat like depression anxiety and stuff like that so you know and now uh i think it was like oregon or california is trying to legalize psilocybin um legal mushrooms yeah psilocybin which is the active ingredient in mushrooms have you ever done mushrooms I used to eat mushrooms like they were candy back in the days. Mushrooms are amazing, man. And, you know, we'll go in with the stories and stuff, but I truly believe now that the psychedelics are becoming more mainstream. Um, now they're go going from somebody's basement that's trying to make synthetic stuff, and now they're actually becoming, you know, the chemists, they're putting out real safe stuff and clean stuff and you don't you know feel the muscle cramps and stuff but and get the flashbacks like a lot of the drugs now that are put out 
Um, but yeah, like I said, now that, you know, it seems like the West Coast, everything in the West Coast starts the movement, man. Well, when it comes to psychedelics, you got to think West Coast, desert, peyote, ayahuasca, stuff like that. Mushrooms are more prevalent back East Coast because we have cow farms out the yin yang. Right. And that's where we used to get them. I remember when I was younger, we had this town called Astero that just became a city and they had all these cow farms and we used to go out there like two, three times a month and we would just come with these bags, probably like a pound, two pounds of these mushrooms. And they weren't regular mushrooms, man. These things were the size of Whopper patties. They looked like giant portobellos. Underneath them, they were dark purple and it just took a little nibble off of them and we used to just pound them away like they were cheeseburgers, man. Now, <laughs> we don't condone going out in anybody's field, searching for anybody's shit, you know, nothing like that. We don't condone right now using the use of psychedelics. We're just putting it out there that these are our stories and this is what we're going to talk about today. But if you do go out, just know that there's certain cows out there that now that have shots that stop yeah. them from producing that shit. So make sure that if you are doing it, make sure you're taking the time to look at the... the Probably uh, get the farmer's permission. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't want to go out and do what we did back in the old days because back then we were kids, we were young, we were stupid, and we're not condoning anybody to be young and stupid anymore. We promoted more of an educated mind. Like El Rocho was saying, definitely they, they started putting those shots in those cows a couple years what about a decade actually right and it really put a hamper on things so now if you want to get mushrooms you got to find a, a good source the legal way most of the time you can find hydroponic mushrooms in and out of your uh underbellies of your communities as you might call them and you can even order the the um spores offline you know there's yeah. plenty of ways to you know grow your own shrooms and make it clean for yourself because like i said i fully agree with medical and recreational use of psychedelics but i feel that if you're going to do it make sure what you're doing is clean and safe because you can really fuck yourself up if you take something that is is not clean you know what i'm saying yeah remain educated about it you don't want to go off and think that you're you know taking something that's derived of the same stuff of lithocytic acid and end up taking mescaline. You know what I mean? Exactly. Because mescaline's a real bad trip. And mescaline's actually one of the types of psychedelics that have been put out into the world. And there's actually a few of them. I mean, because you have LSD, which everybody knows is acid. Then you have your, your mushrooms and then mescaline. And the one that I find the most enjoyable is the stuff in ayahuasca, DMT, those things with those kind of properties. Uh, they don't introduce anything into your brain. They basically just flood it with serotonin. So I've always found that to be a lot safer. However, I've done peyote and I've done DMT. And when it came to DMT, it was more of a, a trip. It was a good, clean trip. And when I did peyote, I remember throwing up for a good 45 minutes beforehand. They call that the purge. Did right. you ever have any problems like that with mushrooms? Um, you know what? I never did. <laughs> funny story about you know i'll throw my first story in for the shrooms wise was we were gonna dab in it um beforehand but the person that was supposed to get us the stuff didn't end up turning out so it took me a while before we found it and i was actually doing construction with my brother up on a roof and i had two buddies living with me at the time and my buddy had messaged me and he was like hey man 
I got some shrooms. And I was like, <laughs> oh shit, you know, and this is the middle of the day. I'm sweating my balls off doing construction on the roof, but I'm so giddy. I'm like a little kid in the candy store. I can't wait to go home. I get in the vehicle five o'clock, go home. And it's my two buddies and his little cousin. So did you actually pay for these? No, I actually got them for free. That it was kind of like a gift because they were living with me at the time. Oh. Um, it, they had just graduated, so they needed somewhere to crash. So, you know what? Whatever they dabbled in, they gave me to fucking dabble in too. So, uh, I was like, dude, it's a Tuesday. We literally took these bitches on a Tuesday, dude, at like six o'clock. Okay, we gave it to my buddy's cousin first, and he ate a whole eighth in like, I don't know, maybe ten ten minutes. He was chowing these things down killed this bottle of orange juice okay we're all sitting around the table waiting to find out what the fuck this is gonna happen all of a sudden dude he goes out my friend's steps and <laughs> he's riding his skateboard and he goes man i don't know what's going on but the sky is changing i need to get home <laughs> he was playing chicken little wasn't he dude this guy is falling down oh man <laughs> so my uh friend took his cousin home dropped him off and on the way home, he's like, well, these must be good. So we're all going to take them. I'm like, dude, I don't know. This is kind of <laughs> late, bro. Like, this is the last minute thing. Let's wait till the end of the weekend. He goes, no, man, I'll get some more. Let's take them now. So I'm like, all right. So he takes his before he drops his cousin off. I pound mine and, uh, you know, he's going to drop off his cousin. It's about 30, 45 minutes. Finally, I start feeling something. Yeah, because it doesn't happen right away. No, it's and a it's, lot of people make that mistake. Yeah, and try to eat, overeat these mushrooms and end up fucking themselves up. And it's the same thing with gummies and, and edibles. <laughs> Last week. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> so so uh, I'm sitting on the front porch of my, my house, and I had two bushes, man, that were probably maybe 50 feet away on the other side of my of my garage and dude it was the most perfect sunset because the sun started going down but this is how i realized it, i was tripping man because as the sun was going down it went from like yellow to pink to orange to purple all of a sudden to black and the sky is still still light outside so i'm like what the fuck dude and all of a sudden <laughs> i look across from me and all of a sudden my plants are breathing dude they turn like this pinkish purple and they're fucking breathing and i'm like oh man this is gonna be a long fucking night and i know it because all of a sudden my buddy calls me he goes hey man i'm like 10 minutes away and i don't know what the fuck's going on but I, i'm so scared to drive so i'm like dude you need to fucking get here because neither of us can come get you you know what i'm saying he had the vehicle he finally pulls in dude and he's in tears like crying tears, man. And we want to let you guys know it's never safe to drive. Yeah, under the influence kind of, of anything. Yeah, during any, you know, substance that you put yourself under. Well, once again, we were young. We were kids. Don't be young and don't be stupid. <laughs> and so uh, he pulls in. He's fucking crying tears, man. And <laughs> he's like, I miss my sister so much, you know, because him and his sister have always had of uh, kind of fallen out between each other. You know what I'm saying? And so, like, he was talking about his sister and him wanting to enroll back so in school. So he regressed into some, some got, deep yeah. and dark stuff. And it was quick, too, man, because my buddy ended up pulling out of fucking his air mattress from our attic and took it outside, dude. And we built, like, this little fort, and we're all cuddled in blankets and shit. And also, you know, we're having this <laughs> deep-ass conversation. We end up going in the house, and me and my buddy, we walk outside, and my one buddy is up on top of his car crying 
tears. Now he's now this really is crying. The same guy that yeah. was still driving that phone yeah. with his sister. And uh, he's really fucking in tears now. We're like, man, fuck it. We got to leave him. You know what I'm saying? Because I wanted to pack of cigarettes. I wanted to smoke so fucking bad, dude. And I didn't have anything and I couldn't drive. I noticed that, that a lot of the times when you're doing stuff like acid or, or mushrooms and stuff, you can get captivated in the thought. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a mission. And for some odd reason, it seems that you're so messed up, you can't complete that mission. <laughs> <laughs> and you're falling over yourself trying to get it done, too. Exactly. So I went inside and my buddy Brennan, not the one crying, my buddy Brennan and I was like, hey man, you need to fucking go inside, get my phone and shit. Cause we need to walk all the way from Van Giesen all the way into, in the town to Carroll. That's like fucking five, six miles, man, where we lived at. He's like, all right, man. Well, I didn't realize it, dude. I had just broken up with this girl that I had been wanting to date for a long time. I had messed her over, man. It was, it was a bad thing. And I thought I was talking to her. What I was really doing, I was talking You're to talking a fucking to a tree. <laughs> I was talking to a tree, oh, dog. Literally for 15, 20 minutes having this conversation while my buddy Brendan's just letting me fucking talk to this tree. It was practice. <laughs> it was your practice apology. And so me and my buddy Brendan walked all the way into Carroll. Well, somehow Luke, the one that was crying, he was fucking got a hold of his sister. Fucking all this shit, man. Dude, they almost smoked us with the fucking car because I literally thought the car was a ghost because <laughs> I was looking at my phone, man, and everything I was seeing on my phone was like illuminating. Everything was like popping out the screen. So as we were walking in town, I thought this car was a ghost car until my buddy Brendan pushed me into a fucking ditch, man, because it was almost, it was Luke's sister. She almost smoked me with her fucking car and didn't even realize it. But dude, we ended up going into town getting the cigarettes and stuff. The one thing I remember the most out of it, dude, was we end up sitting down um, at the fairgrounds. They had built a new park, and so we're, like, seesawing on the fucking thing. And I ended up looking at the moon, and the moon was spinning, dude. The moon was spinning in the sky. But the moon doesn't spin. And the moon doesn't spin. So (laughs) the moon's spinning in the sky, and I asked... uh, I asked my buddy if he had saw it. He hadn't seen it. You know, he wasn't seeing it. He was seeing it change colors. And when Luke finally came and picked us up and as we were going back out, we ended up having this all the same revelation, man. We all end up realizing that what we were doing in life wasn't right. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't so much what we, the stuff we were putting in the substance we were doing, but just overall what we were doing in life wasn't right. And from there, I think that moment with all of us taking shrooms, it elevated us all to a different level because right after that, me and my buddy Brendan ended up fucking moving out, getting our own apartment. And uh, Luke ended up moving out to the West Coast and going to school in LA. So like, I really believe that like little juncture between us three fucking brought us a lot closer than taking us apart, you know what I'm saying? So we're gonna go ahead and take that story and we're gonna break it down because it seems a lot of the stuff that you were saying are when it comes to the effects that the, the the drug itself is having on you, it goes in stages. And these stages are a recurrent theme with pretty much everybody. Oh, and the first certainly. stage is always what? Anticipation. Like, yeah. You're just waiting. Like, when the you fuck's it going to hit? And you take it. And like we said, you go through a minute. Sometimes if it's really good and it gets through your system quick, you can get into like a half hour. 20 right. minutes, a half hour. Sometimes it takes a little while uh, longer for it to break down your system. 45 minutes. And that's when you start feeling the... The effects. The, the, the effects. effects. I always noticed that it always started with a physical feeling. Itchy in the back of my ears and my armpits. 
I felt like uh, my joints were tingling or something like that, you know, and then after that, it starts hitting the visual. See, I always, my heart hurt, dude. It feels like my heart's cracking. Yeah, at the whole time, I mean, the physical effect is your heart is And it's not even like pumping. Like, it feels like my heart's turning into stone cracking. Like, I, I get emotional when I fucking, like, the first hour in, dude. I don't know what it is. You can ask my buddy Brendan, dude. I will... Mean it, cause that's my trip, buddy, dude. I love that kid. He's my best friend out of everybody in the entire world, dude. Dude, I would cry on bed for an hour or two, and he would just play <laughs> video games, just crying, you know, and shit. But yeah, dude, seriously, like the first hour was emotional. I don't know how your first hour is, like the anticipation. But what do you feel like when the initial effect hit you? When you realize, like, oh shit, I'm in a different land right now. Well, that's that's the funny thing because when it comes to visuals, I don't see a lot of things. I see a lot of tracers. I don't. I've never experience color change or anything like that uh, off of any psychedelic whatsoever i don't get emotional i start to analyze things this is what i actually start to do is like we're sitting in a room right now that is decorated like a moroccan suite right yeah if i were to take acid in this room it would be a very bad trip for me because i would literally sit here and just look at all these shapes constantly analyzing them and thinking that's what goes through my mind because I'm not an emotional person. I don't, I don't react on emotional. I, I react on logical thought. So when I do psychedelics, I don't go into emo. I don't think of past life's mistakes or what I'm going to do for the future. I live more in the moment and I'm really just enjoying everything that's happening around me. If I get overwhelmed, then I have been known to shut down, but it's never a, a breakdown type thing. It's more just leave me the fuck alone. I'm going to sit here. I'm a glass of orange juice. Now, <laughs> now does that come with age, man? Because like no, you said no, earlier, no, I've always, it's always been like that. Cause me. like you said earlier, man, you know, like I'm an angry person, you know what I'm saying? And it, I don't know what I, what I hold it from. And I, I've dabbled in it. With I my, believe it's because you're a Marine. Maybe <laughs> it could be, you know, but like I said, you know, the psychedelic part, I realized with the emotion, like I hold a lot of stuff in, like you said, you live in the moment. I, fucking live in two years ago you know i mean i'm always trying to play catch up you see and that's that's the problem because psychedelics they they there's two doors it's the venerable alice in wonderland you can go through one door and it can be just an awesome fucking experience and then go through the other door and you can just have the shittiest time of your life you could also be the third person which you seem to be is just the dude standing in the room reflecting on everything yeah you know what i mean just reflecting and Ultimately, it all leads down to the same goal at the end because after you do all that reflecting, I do all my outward feeling and everything, whatever the hell you want to call it, I come down to my own conclusions as well. Everybody has a conclusion in every trip and that's where the history of psychedelics actually come into play. What they were actually used for was to open up a door by shamans to speak to the spirit world and I can tell you I've never spoke to a spirit I've seen tracers and I've felt totally fucking awesome. Colors are more vibrant. And hey, if that was their religion and their belief in the day, I don't have a problem with that. All I gotta say is thank you, thank you, thank you for figuring out this chemistry or how to do this or this plan did this. Because of you, I am able to enjoy it now. Right. That was back during the tribal eras of the Indian, I'm sorry, the Native Americans. You know, they had people in China as well as India. They, they would also take psychedelics as well. Was it in America or was it somewhere else that the first man actually made it? Albert Hoffman was overseas when uh, he created it. 
because uh, he was the first person to actually break down psilocybin and make the actual it, chemistry makeup. Right. He was actually just messing around with stuff. So it was an accident, right? It really was. He was inside the laboratory and he was trying to synthesize uh, LSD, lysergic acid, dimethylide, whatever the fuck it's called, you know. And uh, it was actually in Switzerland. And they had paid him to create a substance from fungus. Well, the fungus actually had grown and he ended up in ingesting it. And that's why they call it Bicycle Day because on 419, he was riding home and he realized that, you know, he was fucking getting tracers and colors were changing and stuff. So he had actually dosed himself on accident. Without even knowing, yeah. So there's another holiday other than 420, which is 419, yep. Bicycle Day. Yeah, and so, and then the next day. How so, much did he ingest? Well, he did, there was no, he doesn't know how much he ingested the first day, but the second day, 420, he ended up dropping 250 milligrams of LSD. Now, if you don't oh. realize what that is, that's 25 little tablets that he had fucking stuck inside of himself. Yeah, and, and most like, you know, experienced people, they'll they'll tell you, oh, I'll drop a 10 strip, which means they'll take like 10 hits. Right. You take 25 hits. You're in a fucking different universe. This man. guy was probably gone for about a good day, day and a half. I, yeah, I couldn't imagine because, you know, the day after LSD, see, I've never taken the next day off because, you, you know, you feel all worn out, the stuff, you feel your body aching. That's, that's if you didn't get clean That's when you just take stuff. another hit. Yeah, that's when you go over <laughs> in the roll, man. But yeah, LSD, that's fucking some crazy shit. I got a few fucking stories about that, man. If they were trying to actually derive it from a fungus, we've known about different mushrooms doing different things. Uh, one of the biggest history lessons that I give to people when it comes to Vikings and stuff like that, or the Berserkers, and everybody's known the name Berserk, Berserker, and especially nowadays that Vikings are becoming so popular, they don't really realize the contribution that Vikings made to the psychedelic world. Back when the Vikings would end up going into war, they would have a special band of people called the Berserkers, which translates to bearskin. And these guys would find a virgin, you know, a slave or whatever, and they would get them all hyped up on, on mushrooms. And that person would urinate, and they would take the urine and boil it into a tea. Mm -hmm. And now, people say that's disgusting, and yeah, it does sound pretty sick. Now, the reason they did that was because... They're still in the urine. Yeah, well, well here's... It's still in the urine, all the stuff that gives you the, the good effects. Yeah. However, the liver and the kidney of the person who eats it detoxifies it, so you no longer have that feeling of being nauseous or waiting that long for it to break down. It's pretty much almost automatic. And the Vikings would take this stuff, they would drink it right before battle, and they would go into these blood cranes. <laughs> yeah, they would go they would go in and it was known that if you had a Viking band in your in your outfit and they were out there in in battle, stay away from them. Because they could kill you because they Yeah, they don't they swing without prejudice. Do you think that's why they saw like dragons and shit because they were just tripping balls and there was just something that it could have been just a little fucking bird, but they their mind magnified it to a different level. I believe that uh, a lot of the psychedelics did contribute to the way we see things, i.e. dwarves and elves and stuff like that, which all originate with Viking and pagans lore back in the day. I think more along the dragons is people finding dinosaur bones. Yeah. Not not so much of hallucinating or anything like that, just trying to explain what the fuck this big ass lizard is. And right. 
dragon just seemed to be the 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 common common theme yep exactly so they always knew that mushrooms had this kind of effect so i would that's pretty much how the swiss were trying to get hawkins to develop something that they don't have to have somebody piss out right now speaking of the negative effects that could happen with these psychedelics one psychedelic that is actually rarely available to the public that always has a bad stigma attached to it is salvia <laughs> yeah yeah i got it man when we both have some some stories about that i've never taken it personally but i've seen someone take it <laughs> i've seen a couple people take it now 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 salvia is actually a sage so you can buy this at head shops and other different places right but you were reading up on it what exactly is the difference between salvia and, say, the more traditional ayahuascas or LSDs? Um, the other traditional ones, they flood the system with dopamine or serotonin and stuff like that. Salvia actually depletes you of dopamine. It actually takes all the dopamine out of your brain. So imagine you not being able to dream for a few days because the dopamine level in your brain has been depleted from this substance. And it's not a substance that gives you a 8, 12, 16 hour roll like LSD, ecstasy, stuff like that. Well, it that actually, just seems kind of counterproductive. That's, that's yeah, not. Like it, it gives you a 15 minute, 20 minute fucking roll. But the first five minutes, man, the first five minutes, I couldn't it imagine. It is a ride. <laughs> it is a ride. So I remember back in, I believe it was around the beginning of the millennium. That's so funny to say these days because it was around 2000, 2001, sometime around that area. And we had this horrible drought going through my hometown. And it's funny because the cops would actually put up signs on the side of the road, like around July, May time frame, June time frame, saying, you think it's dry now, wait till August, because that's when they did all their drug busts and stuff like that. So we're going through a really big drought. Me and uh, my nephew, we go up to one of my buddy's houses. And uh, they're all sitting there. There's about five, six people. They're all standing around a, a kitchen counter. And they got, they, they got their little bubblers out. They're all laughing and giggling. And we get up there and we're like, oh, man, you guys found some bud. Great. And they're like, no, 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 man. We got this stuff called salvia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me and my nephew had no idea what to think, but they're like, go ahead and take a hit. So they loaded up a bubbler and they loaded up a regular glass piece for us. I knew something was wrong because the moment we sat down and we were getting ready to light this up, everybody's just giggling around and staring at us. <laughs> so <clears throat> I told my nephew on the count of three, we're going to go ahead and take this hit. He was like, yeah, I got you. Counted one, two, three. Well, I, I pulled a dick move. I didn't take a hit. I let my nephew take a bubbler straight to the head. <laughs> my nephew at the time had all these piercings in his face because it was a cool thing to do back in the early, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. He had bray, eyebrows, you know, nose rings, you know, everything. And I start laughing. He blows out the smoke and he takes a step back. And it was funny because it almost looked like his face was melting. And I hadn't even hit this shit yet. You know what I mean? And I was saying... Looks like his face is melting. And he's, <laughs> he starts pulling his face down, like rubbing it down. Oh, the piercings. Yeah. All the piercings, I think, were weighing his face down, and he hit his ass. Oh, man. He hit the floor, and he's just sitting on the floor, stiff legs straight out, almost in an L shape, just dazed and confused. 
And I was thinking to myself, what the fuck? It, I, I don't want to hit this shit. Exactly. I was <laughs> like, I don't know if I really want to try this shit. After a few minutes, I'm like, I'm not going to do that because that would be a pretty big dick move watching him. <laughs> so right. I said, load up the bubbler. I don't want to do the pipe because it looked very harsh. He caught pretty bad. I was sitting on a bar stool, and my first advice, if you're ever going to do salvia, sit on the ground, sit on the ground, have some pillows around, because some people don't, but mo for the most part, you're going to fall down. You lose everything. So I go ahead, I take this bubbler to the head, I let it out, 30 seconds goes by, nothing, 40 seconds goes by, nothing, a minute. I start looking at everybody, I'm like, I don't think I did it right. <laughs> <laughs> and just as I said right... I fall off the bar stool. Damn. Now, I seen tracers. This is the first time I've ever seen anything actually psychedelic. The way you speak of it, uh, colors, shapes, everything changing. As I was falling off of this bar stool, it was very slow motion. And I was seeing these tracers of a uh, corner of a wall. And the tracers weren't see-through. They were solid. So if you're looking at a solid white object like a corner, and you're falling down and you see solid tracers, it looks like a book. Right. It looks like the edge of a book. I don't know exactly what I seen in that two minutes, but I do remember that when they were shaking me to wake me up, first things that came out of my mouth were, I'm a book, who flipped my pages? And they all just started laughing at me. <laughs> and I sat there and I analyzed everything that was going on. I got really nauseous, I went outside, took a breath of fresh air, and I realized for that two minutes what actually seemed like years and years and years. Which it was real quick. It was quicker than what you could. It, no, no, it wasn't me. I wasn't living my life in a book. I wasn't the story of a book, but I was actually a book. Damn, dude. And somebody had pulled me off of a shelf, and they were flipping through my pages. And it's funny because when I start to think about it, I remember the first thing as I was falling to the ground, I was a child in my back seat when we were going to the movies and my mom and my aunt were telling me to get the hell out of the car. And then my life flashed before my eyes, but it wasn't me. I was a book. <laughs> and that's what Salvia did to me. I did it one other time later on that night just to see if it was uh, a placebo. Like if yeah, to see exactly. I, I, I'm a very curious mind, I guess you could say. I wanted to see exactly what happened. I remember we were watching a DVD that had one of those faux broadcasting ending signals, and it was a bunch of rainbows. I was looking at it as I was tripping, just taking this hit of this second hit of salvia, and my my nephew and my friend, they were sticking their faces in my face, laughing. And all I remember is it looked like they were imprinting their faces on that screen. Damn. You know when you uh you know those little machines with all the pins and you like put your hand into it and yeah, you can and see your hand shape. That's what their faces look like being pushed in from the screen. Fuck. And after that, I think that was that was damn near 15, 20 years ago, and I've never touched shit since. <laughs> now you were reading up on it. Why did it explain exactly why I started to the feelings of my body started commingling with what I was seeing. Because it cross senses, what it does is actually takes your, say, your sight, and it binds it with what you feel. So what you're feeling, you're actually seeing. And I know that sounds fucking crazy, but that's exactly what it does. It crosses senses. And I remember, because um, 
it so was, the snozberries might start like, feeling like, like snozberries. snozberries. Yeah, for real. <laughs> and uh, I remember my buddy Tausch, um, we were in the, we had just gotten in the military and you know, you can't, you take anything, you know, you piss it out and fucking, it can ruin your career. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and you're drug tested frequently. And so uh, <laughs> we had just moved into these apartments, man. When I mean, I literally just got into the fleet. Like it was probably like a week, if that. And my buddy Tausch goes, hey, man, I, I picked up some salvia from the head shop. And I'm like, oh, man, I, you know, I've never done it. You've never done it. He goes, nope. And he goes, but we're going to try it. I'm like, ah, man, I don't know, because I worked with super high ups. So if I get fucked up, you know, it would totally bombard and ruin my family and my career and everything. So I was like, nah. And but we I'll, don't suggest anybody in the yeah. military smoking anything. Yeah, any for real, man. psychedelics. Don't do that. So fucking. Uh, it's not worth your career, my friends. I remember fucking him sitting out on the porch and dude, he just drifted off in the Neverland. But it wasn't him that fucking really got me to like be like, no, fuck that. It was my uh, middle brother. He came down to visit me um, and he smoked weed, you know, and but I couldn't smoke weed. So I didn't know where to get it, where to find it, whatever. But I had fucking uh, a bottle of hip, hypnotic in my fridge. And so I was like, here, man, fucking drink this. The old well, nasty. My buddy fucking. The old panty <laughs> Yep, the old razzle dazzle. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking uh, my buddy Tausch had come home from work. Um, cause since we had just gotten the fleet, both of us, they pretty much just gave us half days to check in and shit, you know? So he came in and my brother asked him if he fucking had anything to smoke. And he was like, well, I got salvia. So this is like 12, 30, one o'clock in the afternoon, man. It's midday. And, uh, they're on the, my front porch. Fucking Which is smoking. never a good time to start doing something <laughs> during the day, dude. <laughs> no, no hallucinogenics, but, uh, fucking all of a sudden, dude, my brother took like two three hits and all of a sudden dude he fucking stood up and ran to my fucking bathroom and locked the fucking door because you could hear it and i was like oh dude my brother didn't die in my bathroom you know what i'm saying like oh fuck all of a sudden oh, dude, shit. we killed him yeah all of a sudden i hear the fucking toilet seat either go up or down and i was like oh fuck and i'm like chris let me in let me in let me in. he's like i'm a grandfather clock watch me tell time and dude, for fucking five minutes, dude, this dude literally thought it was a fucking a pendulum, man. <laughs> and he goes, bro, I'll never touch that again. And man, I think from there, if dude, have you ever tried K2, the fake weed? No, I've never tried the, uh, what, what do they call that? They have a, they have a name for that. Yeah. There's like. But they got like 10 different fucking or thousands of different types of fucking fake weed, man. Synthetic marijuana. Fucking my brother had given me some um, when they had came down to North Carolina to come pick me up and uh, go back home. Dude, I'm not kidding you. I had maybe a fucking couple hits of this fucking little pinner dude shit, dude. I literally thought we were 45 minutes outside of Jacksonville. Dude, we hadn't even turned the block, bro. So, like, I couldn't imagine that feeling being in the salvia world, like you said, because time literally, like, felt like you were yeah. thousands forever, but two you're really in two minutes. like an eternity. <laughs> now, I've never touched any of the synthetic stuff. Um, we had a big problem with that in Fort Bragg. And, you know, you always hear that story about the guy that uh, took too much acid and now he's a glass of orange juice at a right. psych bin or somebody... Some of those, I'm not sure if that story is true, but the whole fake synthetic weed shit 
I actually do know somebody who smoked that shit in the military, and he went into a coma. Oh, that was, yeah, and, that was a big thing. Yeah. And he was he was in a coma for a long. To tell you the truth, that was towards the end of my military career. I don't I don't remember what happened to him. I don't, when I left out of Fort Bragg, he was still in the Womack Center. And I see we had a lot of soldiers that were going to the hospital for respiratory problems or whatever, whatnot. I looked up how to make the stuff and basically just aspartame fucking you can yeah. spray the shit from Yeah, the you're wood. taking aspartame and then you're fucking mixing it with a bunch of herbs and anything that you, you pretty much want. Yeah. And then you let it dry no, no thank you. I mean if I'm gonna get high it's gonna be natural. Dude, I had a buddy that had it in his car two days before it was banned and he fucking ended up getting pulled over like a day after it got banned dude he ended up catching a fucking felony for fake weed like yeah. so it and yeah ucmj is they're, they're treating that just like it's a, a regular substance yeah like it was wild so fucking um but like you said dude there's a lot of people that uh went into cardiac arrest there's a lot of people with fucking hallucinating and stuff and the reason why is because and this is why I say that all dr- drugs should become legal. And when I mean everything should become legal, everything should become legal. Because if you can make them legal and you think about this way, okay? When you were a kid, what did you want to do? You wanted to drink, you wanted to get fucked up, you wanted to smoke. Now, when you become of age where you could 18 to go buy a pack of cigarettes or 21 to, you know, get some alcohol or now, you know, recreational marijuana is legal. So now you can go pick up a doobie if you want to. When you were younger, you fucking like consumed so much shit because nobody wanted you to. Nobody wanted you to drink. Nobody wanted you to smoke. And so you fucking put all these substances in your body. And then all of a sudden now when you become legal, it doesn't seem so appeasable. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't give it that risk factor. So if we were to like literally take all these drugs and be like, listen, it's for the public consumption, the public use. Now, let's see, instead of treating these people like fucking animals, because that's what they do. They treat addicts and fucking people like animals. Let's help them. Let's help them because look, ketamine, man, ketamine fucking is becoming um, helping with depression, anxiety. Now, like doctors are actually doing ketamine drips. And, you know, that's why. But when you think of ketamine, like we were talking about that last week, that guy in the float tank was doing ketamine and he died. I sit more on a conservative side of the whole drug things. I don't condone any kind of drug use when it comes to like actual drugs. You know what I mean? If you want to smoke a joint, cool. If you want to trip balls, awesome. I'm not down for cocaine. I'm not down for, you know heroin i've i've had a very 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 personal relationship with those types of hard drugs and i see the kind of destruction that it doesn't just do to the person themselves yeah everybody but everybody around them i mean i've seen babies born close relatives that are born that you know they're they're dope sick they're babies so i can't get behind you know the general public just being allowed to do any drug that they want not only morally on my behalf but financially on the taxpayers behalf because it comes down to this if you have people that are able to do drugs and they are willing to do them you do have that small percentage that are going to be like it's available to me 
but just because it's available, I don't want to do it. But you also have those people that are just going to throw fucking caution into the wind and just become straight out dope fiends. But that's with anything. Look at alcohol. You know what I'm saying? Fucking but look at alcoholics. An alcoholic, an alcoholic, yes. I believe we have our regulations in alcohol. I mean, you can't straight out ban it. Alcohol does do a lot of bad stuff. Drunk driving, death, cirrhosis, disease, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. However, you're more likely to get robbed by a dope fiend than an alcoholic. But you're also more likely to get hit by a fucking drunk driver than a dope fiend. Well, most of the time, these people are dope fiends or alcoholics as well, too. That's a whole different area. When it comes to alcohol, you're always going to have to deal with, you're going to get hit. You might be hit by a drunk driver or whatever, whatnot. That is going, with the amount of alcoholics that we have, that's a smaller percentage that you're going to see of the harm that comes from a heroin addict. Because a heroin addict could rob you, they could steal your stuff, or they could kill you. And they could do this meaning to do it. They have intent there. They're there for this specific reason. Whereas in most of the time a drunk that hits you, it's an accident, and yeah, they should definitely suffer the penalties for whatever the hell they, you know, uh, from the, the damage that they've caused. But it's an unintentional accident on their behalf. It's intentionally that they took the, that they got drunk. So they got to deal with that. They got to, you know, do their time for that shit. But they're not out there trying to fuck you up to get a drink. But look at Uruguay, for example. Uruguay put the world on notice because they were the first country to pretty much legal legalize all substances. They're also a big socialist country. And Uruguay is a very, very, very impoverished country because of it and so and they drop 25 percent in crime and poverty and stuff like that so like i said i'm not condoning i'm not condoning the use of heroin crack cocaine you know shit like that i'm not but what i'm saying is that if you you can't send these people to a doctor hook them on percocet vicodin oxycodone hydrocodone shit like that xanax and then when you cut them off and i expect them to go to the street and go shoot up. You know what I'm saying? You can't expect that. You can't expect someone that went to the bar every single day, like in the Prohibition era, and then fucking all of a sudden, now you can't fucking drink anymore. You know, you can't be putting stuff out for the general public in the way that they're doing it, and then not, and then take it out and expect there to be no retribution from the consumer. Because think about it, if weed, if weed became fully illegal in all aspects again in all aspects again imagine how many people would fucking go back to how they were going in the day going to their street dealer going to their person and trying to get weed and now it becomes back to the drug trade how everything was going so now it like i said man we need to come to a point where if we legalize one substance you can't tell this other substance it can't be legal either because the reason why one person uses a substance could be the same reason why someone uses a different substance. It's just different a substance. Cocaine used to be legal. You know, cocaine used to be fucking Coca-Cola cans and co cocaine used to be inside of uh, anesthesia and shit. Well, they still use like lanacaine as a derivative of cocaine. That all comes down to which the way we, we deal with our healthcare. I mean, you're right. You can't be giving people shitloads of opioids 
and expect them to go cold turkey and just not do it. So I think that's more a level of our healthcare system, the way we got to deal with that. We need to get, obviously, we need to get the lobbying out of out of uh, D.C. We got the big pharma corporations that are definitely holding back any kind of progress that we have for any kind of medical care cures. I mean, we've had the second person in the world being cured of HIV just recently. Yeah, that's crazy. And don't tell me that that's only the second person. This drug has been out there forever and a day. And there's all sorts of drugs that are out there for all sorts of cures, but the big pharmaceutical companies aren't going to allow that because they're not in the business of curing people. They're in the business of treating people. And if you cure somebody, you can no longer treat them. Right. Why get somebody hooked on opioids? Because they're going to go ahead and going to need something to get off that. So now the pharmaceutical companies are going to make money off the suboxins and uh, the methadone, which doesn't even really get you off it. It pretty much just levels you out. Now they've made themselves a consumer for the rest of their lives. Because off of somebody else's pain. Because think about it, man. Like I was telling you, you know, yesterday that I want to do a a homeless episode where we go out and feed some homeless and we, you know, talk to them and, you know, find out how they got into the situation that they are. Because I bet when we go out and we go sit down and talk to some of these individuals, I bet you more than 75% are out there because of drug addiction. Drug addiction, like you said, it's rampant in our families, our friends, you know, around there. So All across the U.S., all across the world really right now. And that's what people don't understand is addiction brings us together more than anything, any type of patriotism, because what I want for one person I want the same for another. I don't want my fucking cousin tweaking or I don't want my best friend tweaking. And I don't want their families tweaking, you know, but at the same time, we're treating these fucking people like animals. We're throwing them into penitentiaries, dog cages, treating them like fucking animals and then expecting them to be rehabilitated going out into society. What rehabilitation did you treat to this person more than, hey, here's some meat, here's some water, get better in a few days. We're going to throw you back out and we're going to fucking keep doing it over and over again instead of sending you to a rehab like we need to. We're treating these people like fucking animals, man. It's fucked up. You see, and I have a different point of view on that as well because it's not exactly set up like that. There's some people that fall in the cracks. I'll go ahead and agree with you on that. I've met a few of them, especially in the military, trying to get out, getting kicked out of the military, all because they got hooked on these, these, these opioids. However, I've also seen... Numerous instances, especially one very close to me, where these people are given chances. They're given education. They had their diplomas. They're given a chance to get a job. They choose not to. They don't want to. And they tell you, oh, it's because I'm hooked to the drug. So you say, okay, I'll take you into my house. I'll feed you. I'll clothe you. One rule, no drugs. You get them clean you have probably a 70% chance that they're going to go right back to that same habit. Yeah, relapse. They relapse. And it's not that, because people don't understand that addiction, while people say it's a disease, it starts off as a choice, and it becomes a disease only because of the body chemistry of somebody. Right. I mean, you're, you're literally changing the chemistry of your body when you do these drugs to the point where 
your body doesn't want to survive without them exactly and then your brain starts clicking into this thing that i can't survive without it now if you go clean the the small success rates that we see is because those people have an extremely strong will and i i commend them highly because i know a lot of shit bags that don't want to even try and it breaks my heart and like you said you know we treat them like animals but, but sometimes you can only do so much for so somebody to where you have to cut them off and you have to tell them i'm not going to enable you anymore because i've given you a place to live i've given you a hundred chances i'm sorry but i can't give you another chance because not only is it affecting me financially but it's literally tearing your whole family apart you know what i mean if you got somebody who has children and they try to fight to clean themselves out and they do i that is awesome but if they don't have children and you still see them do i don't care if you're an addict and you're addicted to heroin and your thing is that you can't do anything because you have an addictive personality i don't want to see you smoking a joint because even though weed's not a gateway drug that's still something that is going to lead you back to something that you wanted before because the sensation exactly because weed is not heroin i've never done heroin myself yeah but the comparisons between them from when i talk to heroin addicts we we both agree we've been on pills we've never shot up but i've taken percocet and hydrocodone and shit like that and i would doze off i'd zombie out so i know what it's like and i know what it was like getting off them fucking pills man the va didn't give a fuck all they cared about was here here's some more so you can keep going it took weed to get me off, man. You know, I was like I said, I was walking with a cane, man. I was fucking zombie and out. Nobody wanted to be around me. I didn't want to be around me. So I could, at that point, like I, I could understand how fucking heroin addicts feel like they're shunned. Because even when I was in a room with somebody, they didn't want to talk to me because, dude, I would literally just close my eyes and be fucking out for five minutes and not realize that the world was passing me by. Yeah, the not. I so, mean, you so see it's people like, not enough. But the thing is, man, is nobody asks me, Freddie, why are you fucking doing this, man? Why are you taking these pills? Because there was a point, like in the beginning, when I was taking them, when I really, really needed them. When I was crawling on the floor to the, my fucking bathtub, crawling to the floor to fucking go eat, crawling on the floor, on the ground to go into my car, literally crawling, having my ex-wife fucking throw me up on her shoulders because I had to, I couldn't walk. But then it got to the point, dude, where I was using it as a crutch. I was using the crutch and it was no longer for help for me, for my pain. I was doing it because I was depressed. So I was taking these pills and I was feeling sad about myself. And when I know I could have walked, and I wasn't. And the pills are, I mean, they just add on to that depression. And so like, dude, it was, it was a dark fucking period, man. It, and so like now as I sit and think about it, now that like we're even talking about it, dude, it was like a really dark period for me. Like everything seemed black and I, I sympathize now with people that have that type of habit and it could be for anything. And I'm I'm not talking about just pills. I'm talking about for any type of person that has that addictive personality, dude, that shit was dark because nobody wanted to be around me. So when it comes down to it, I would like to say, okay, Addiction itself 
could be a mental disease, but addiction to a drug. That's a choice. That's a choice. That's a choice. I'll agree with but that. If one. you have an, a, a, like, I have an addictive personality. I sit down. I can't play five minutes of a video game. I got to beat the video game. Right. You know, when I go when I go to the gym, I can't just run for 15 minutes. I got to do an hour. I got to see how far I can push myself. I'm a very addictive personality. When I do stuff, I got to do it all right. Maybe that helped me to not do any of the harder drugs and stay where I'm at within the realms of my psychedelics and my weed because I know I have an addictive personality. When it came to being an alcoholic, because when I got back from deployments, I mean, there was a good chunk of my, the early of my military career where I was drowning myself at the bottom of a bottle. You know, that's, that's just my addictive personality, but I started to realize that. Now, you say, you say that you uh, have addictive personality and that you were starting to drown yourself in alcohol. What was it like when you first woke up to the time, whatever time it was that you passed out from alcohol? Because like me, when I woke up, I couldn't wait to reach for the pill bottle. I couldn't wait to fucking grab them fucking things and shove some down my throat so I could be someone else. Just for maybe four hours, you know what I'm saying? Until I zone myself out and then whatever. So what was it like for you? Because alcohol is not something that you drink all day, especially in the No, beginning. no, no, no. Yeah, it is. What now? So were you doing that while you were in yes. the military? Yes. Yeah? Yes. Now, I so would wake up and it's sad because that is the reality for quite a bit of servicemen. Everybody's heard of the hair of the dog. I would literally wake up. It wasn't a shaky thing. I, I've seen some bad, some guys that were pretty bad. Right. I mean, I wasn't to the point. I was very highly functional. I wouldn't shake. I wouldn't crave. But it was more of like just a habit, like smoking cigarettes. I don't crave smoking cigarettes unless I drink alcohol. But more along the lines of I would wake up in the morning and go to my fridge. And I always had beer. I always had bottles of something lying around. And I'd chug a beer. Now, did you live by yourself? Now, were you living like by yourself or were you hiding this this shit? No, hell no. Like I said, it's a reality in the service. Servicemen drink. Right. Because I I would hide 40s in my fucking vehicle. Like, no joke, I was hiding 40s in my fucking backseat. And when I was at lunchtime, I'd pull them out of the lunchbox and drink a 40. You see, and, and that's the thing. I'd never even worried about it, really, because to me, it was so normal. Um, when we were, when we weren't in uniform, it was just constantly drinking. We were in Europe, we were young, we survived a war. So we were constantly drinking all the time and it wasn't, oh, let's party and let's get drunk. It's just like, Hey man, I'm going to go ahead and mix this drink real quick and we'll be out, you know, whatever, we're not. It, it was a common occurrence. I would get up in the morning, chug a beer, take a shower, go down, do PT, go throughout my day, not worry about it at lunchtime. I'd always go out for lunch. We'd go to a Hooters. We would go to Twin Peaks. We would find in, in Italy. We'd go to, you know, one of the cafe, uh, cafe side cafe bars, you know, right there on the street, and just I'll have two beers with lunch. You know what I mean? That's the way I always figured. As long as I just have two beers with lunch, I, I didn't worry about that that morning beer because that was just a starter. <laughs> right. That was just to wake me up. It was like somebody waking up and smoking a cigarette. In the right. So. I'd do my two beers at lunch, I'm good, and then I would go, I would hit the gym for like two, three hours, and then I'd go home, and I would tell myself, 
well, I'm not eating bread, so I might as well drink my bread. And I'd, you know, polish off a six pack. And then right there, right behind the six pack, I always had a bottle of Jameson. Jameson whiskey was my thing. I would just drink it right out of the bottle, carry a little fifth or a little pint of it around on me. Always drinking whiskey. I, I had a flask, you know, fucking out every once in a while, you know. Not that I did it in uniform or anything. <laughs> Pull it out, you know. Allegedly. Yeah, take a couple hits off of it. You know, it's, to me, it wasn't a really big deal. And it never got, it never affected my life so bad that I was shaking and falling down or whatever. But I did realize when I came back to America and I was done with, you know, deploying and I'm just basically a desk jockey at this point in time that, dude, I have a bottle of Jameson in my desk drawer. And it's not the same bottle of Jameson that I bought three days ago. And I started putting two and two together in my head. I'm like, dude, maybe you have a problem. Started noticing that my run times were getting bad, that I didn't want to pretty much do anything unless I had a drink. Not shaking, but I just, if if we were going out and we are having dinner, oh, this is boring. Right. Let's, hey, garçon, bring me a bottle of your fucking finest house wine. And I take that bottle of house. People would pull out their glasses and hand them to me. <laughs> what are you doing? Right. Are you going to give us a fuck you? Get your own bottle. <laughs> so, you know, you finally started realizing that maybe it wasn't a problem yet. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't a problem, but it was definitely becoming an issue with how affecting your life. So how long do you say, like when you made, was that, was that realization? Maybe like eight years Cold ago? Cold turkey. Oh, no, no. Uh, how long has it been? Yeah, like when oh, you... Oh, God, no. It's only been uh, six years. Okay, so six years. Now, yeah. before we, you know, start every show, we take a shot. You know what I'm saying? So what is that like to you knowing that you were going down the issue of alcohol? Because that would be like me popping a fucking Percocet knowing that I had an issue a few years ago. You know what I'm saying? So to you, is that kind of what that's like? Maybe like feeding the demon a little bit every time we do it? No. When I when I, when I I quit drinking cold turkey, I didn't drink for a while. I didn't drink for like probably about a year, year and a half. Nothing whatsoever. And uh, I just... Picked up a beer one day, I took a drink. I realized I didn't like it. I used to be a real big beer snob and I didn't like it. It didn't taste good, but it was refreshing. It was cold, it was, or the beer was cold and it was a hot Florida day. And I was like, I can do this and not have another one because it didn't taste as good as it used to, right. but it was refreshing. Now when I drink, I'll drink a beer now and then I only drink one beer because it doesn't taste as good as it used to. I, I try not to drink Jameson unless I'm celebrating because if I do drink Jameson straight out the gate, then I'm going to kill a bottle. Uh, that's one of those things where I just can't stop. It's like I'm not I'm not done until this bottle's done. I feel you. And I realized that in my mind. And I and I fought it. My, I, you, know, you know how I am when it comes to you know cerebral stuff. I, I think a lot. I constantly looking for ways to drown out all the voices that are going on in my head at one time. I'm not crazy. I'm not schizophrenic, but you just have a lot of thoughts going on. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And from a lot of different points, a lot of different subjects. So when I drink now, it's more along the lines of I'm just drinking enough to calm down. And as soon as like the shots that we take. I can feel them automatically as they're coming into my system. They go into my belly and I can feel it. 
go through my body and just calm me down. And I tell myself, you can have more, but you don't need it. Right. So it's more of a mental thing with me. It's a it's it's a Buddhist concept. No. Moderate. Stay moderate and you'll be happy. I personally know I have a lot of friends and out there that are probably gonna listen to this. And I know that they need you know, that they need help and they're going to get the help and stuff like that. And I want them to realize that it's fucking kudos, man. Like there's a lot of people, like you said, that don't even want to make the effort to even go get help, you know, cause they feel like they're going to get shunned or it's just that they just don't want to make the effort to improve their self. And some of them just, they just don't give a shit. They don't care, you know? And so, you know, for the people that do listen to this, I fully support you. We fully support you. We fully support you on your journey, your vision, whatever it is to make yourself better. Because I know that, you know, like I said, when um, I was going through the stuff, when I was on Percocet, nobody wanted to be around me. You know, I had friends, I had family and stuff, but I felt like I was disconnected every with everybody because I just wasn't on the same level with them. But then, you know, when I started getting better and I started improving and started to feel like a human being again and like I could, could you know, improve society a little bit, um, then I started feeling better and I, I started getting help and reaching out with a lot of things. And I know that when people say they relapse, they feel like they're a complete failure. And I want you to understand that when you relapse, that's not a failure. You know, that's human nature. You're you're gonna make a mistake. But but whether or not you wanna just pick yourself back up. Exactly, because you 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 taking that relapse and you falling back, if you stay fall back, then that is a loss. You know what I'm saying? But if you can pick yourself up and be like, dog, you know, I fucked up. You know, I need to get myself back to who I was talking to. Uh, you know, I need to get myself back in that group. I need to fucking go see that therapist. Maybe I needed to go see a doctor for some medication to get myself a little bit better. It boils down to like, man, do you want to make yourself better and make the people around you better? And if you do, then don't take that as a fucking loss. Take that as a, a lesson because everybody's well look there's a person that on my facebook man i won't mention names and stuff but every day like i've been watching her for like the past year man and i haven't she was a friend from back in the day and she went through some stuff dude the past year her growth has been so huge and it's been so like motivating and inspiring because like i said she went through a lot of demons and she went through a lot of health problems and stuff like that but now she looks amazing she's so happy she's doing a lot of good things with nursing and stuff like that so the work is out there you can turn yourself around you can be a better person you can be a better individual as long as you believe in yourself that's what it takes self-motivation man yes yeah you pump it out man and you just keep on that right track and eventually you'll see the fucking gold at the end of the rainbow you know what i'm saying exactly staying on with that good vibe we're gonna go ahead and jump into our inspiration of the week and we are smoking on that leroy and that leroy Ro jenkins el rojo is gonna let you know all about it so this leroy jenkins man 20 percent thc it's an indica it's known to help ease anxiety and depression it's definitely something that you know we've been picking up for the past couple weeks because just one of them marijuana that doesn't get you fucking super stoned but it gets you elevated to the point where you want to be creative and you want to fucking feel better and it's definitely uh one that would actually help with addiction exactly mm -hmm. exactly you can go ahead and catch those guys online at uh www.thedispensarynv.com with that we can go ahead and take a quick intermission and uh see you on the other side of this break
getting back to this majestic hike that we took the other day, we're sitting there in the heart of the desert and there's this awesome waterfall. And we got some video of El Roach getting down there. I thought he was going to bust his ass. He did a pretty good job, though, buddy. I told you to get down, man. It was definitely a spot you want to get to to get the perfect fucking picture, right? Most definitely. As we were walking down there, Roach was telling me about how he had this uh, fascination with rock stacking, or he had an ex who had a fascination with rock stacking. Yeah. And if you don't know what rock stacking is, it's basically when you go out on hikes, when you get into these like big rocky areas, people will get these random stones and just stack them and bounce them out like a makeshift Jenga setup. It's and cool, yeah. Yeah, they have some pretty unique designs and some people got some talent out there. Fuck yeah, they do, man. So we get down into this waterfall and we noticed that there was this young couple down there and lo and behold, what were they doing? Rock stacking. Rock stacking. So we had to go down there and check it out. And we got to talking about how the couple themselves just seemed happy being with each other not really doing anything but walking around in nature it flashed us back to the week before when we went to go see the comedy show with ray romano and danny carvey which Highly if you're in las vegas go see the show it was hilarious man ray romano fucking cracked me up yeah and for my generation if you remember the church lady and Dana carvey of course everybody knows garth from Wayne's World, I really like to play, you know. It's definitely a good show to check out. But when we, before we went to the actual show, we stopped in at a lounge and we seen this really awesome lounge singer. This guy had everything down to a cue. Getting it, man. He was rocking the saxophone like he was Lisa Simpson in a street light, wasn't he? Oh, it was, dude, it was a sight to see for real. And the greatest thing about it is that we looked around. When we first got there, there wasn't too much of the seats filled there was just a few people yeah because we went out to eat but we had, we were here in the music in the italian restaurant we were at and uh so my boss decided because it's her favorite lounge so we would go in there and we were going to gamble a bit she's a common fixture at the mirage <laughs> she loves the mirage so we, we sat down inside the lounge man and we started hearing the music and seriously it started packing in and it wasn't it wasn't my generation or your generation. It was our parents' generation. And they were all like just having such an amazing time, man. They were all listening to the music. What got me is that there was this older couple that was uh, on the other side of the room and I was watching them and they were just so in love, man. Like they were so happy to be together. They were just so in tune with the jams and it was- They were singing every single lyric. Everything, man. And they and were just dancing. bobbing their head along and shit. And, it was like, it made me think, you know, these people were just listening to, you know, it was modern day jams and those older jams and they were just present in the moment with each other. But, you know, when our generations, if it ain't fucking bumping ass or sucking dick, you know, nobody fucking wants to pay attention to it. Nobody, everybody wants to fucking like, they want to twerk off. their asses out there. They want to bump and grind. And that's the big generational gap that we noticed at that time was how we described them as the greatest generation or baby boomers and they had their fallbacks and their setbacks but the one thing that we can learn about them is love exactly i mean it was amazing to see how you know this couple had been together for probably a couple decades yeah and the way that the wife just stared at her husband as he was sitting there swinging to the music and they were jamming out to some old school Motown. Then they got up and started dancing. It was amazing because it's not something that you generally see from our day and age. 
especially the way you're talking about it. because when you go to a bar or you go to a club it's from the windows to, to the, the walls, walls. to and the it, sweat drip down my balls now how romantic could that actually be when you're talking about sweat perspirating from your genitalia area <laughs> you know what i mean marvin gay didn't sing about you know clapping your butt cheeks together Let's get on. Holiday. It's so fucked up, man. It just doesn't make sense. But it's it got us thinking about also, you know, what does it take to keep a relationship going that strong? These days, it's kind of really hard to do because we have so many distractions with social media. People, like I said, clapping their butt cheeks over at any bar that you go to. That it's really, you really got to have a sense of tunnel vision to work on something meaningful i don't know if that's possible with all the distractions that we have today because there's tons of them but it also got me thinking back and you as well about our own past relationships and how those kind of relationships have an effect on us as an individual and how it helps us grow or even recesses us back do you remember your first love Um, I remember my first love. Now, we're not talking about kindergarten, chase me around the playground, heck yes or no type George Strait things, but, you know, like when you're coherent of what actual feelings and emotions are. Uh, yeah, my, um, man, this girl broke my heart, bro. Uh, it was eighth grade and her name was Heather and, you know, we were dating whatever for a month or so and it was valentine's day dude but and that's a long time in, in high school years. in high school years yeah man. Like, <laughs> a month was it seemed like forever and uh well i remember i had gotten her these <laughs> fake flowers from the dollar store and i'd got her this little ass bear and this little thing of chocolates and uh, <laughs> it's it's cute because you're a kid it was my first, you know, my first the girlfriend. is and, what counts. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I had went to bed and I was so excited because I, I had picked out a nice fucking outfit to wear for the next day. And, uh, well, when I woke up, my dad was a G and he replaced everything that was fake with some, everything real, you know, real roses, a real big box of chocolate and this big ass teddy bear. So I felt super G status. You know, my dad <laughs> put me on a fucking different level. Who would have known you? Your your ex military dad was such a softie. I know, man, for real. My dad has got a, such a huge heart. He's always been. I think you know, no matter what he says, that dude's a romantic at heart, for real. That dude <laughs> is a mega heart. I don't give a fuck. Huge softie. But uh, so I'd gotten my stuff, and my dad dropped me off at school. Told me good luck to tell him how everything went. You know, when I got a chance, because my dad was working two jobs. He was working at the factory at nighttime and at the bank during the day. So like the very small window that I got a chance to hang out with my dad and listen to him you know I got to inform him but he never missed a meet or you know none of my sports events or like that he was always there fully supportive but most of the time it was talking to your commute and taking care of his family you know and so uh I went to school that morning like I said he dropped me off I was going through going through the school and dude I was feeling like a g you know holding all this shit dude (laughs) and I gave it to her and she act kind of happy and it was the first time I'd given a girl something like this. So I didn't know how the fuck she was. I thought she was supposed to react a lot different, but you know, it was what it is. Well, I get out of class and all my shit that my dad had spent his hard earned money for was in the trash, bro. It was in the really? trash. 
And dude, that shit broke my heart all the way till my senior year, man. Like I carried that with me. Even now, you know, kind of sort of, I kind of feel iffy when I give somebody a present because dude, you know, now, you know, at that time, that was my dad's hard-earned money. Now it's my own hard-earned money. And so if you fucking destroy it or throw it away, that breaks me, a little piece of me, because that was a piece of me that I could have given to somebody else, but I gave it to you. Well, that's a pretty asshole thing to do. I mean, did you ever talk to her and find out why she did something so asshole-ish? No, no. You know what? I never really did. I never talked to her after that. After that, I think seriously, the rest of the day, dude, I probably cried like a little bitch. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna lie because that was for me hitting a pubescent age. That was a huge hit, dude. That was like someone's soul reaping you <laughs> and fucking, you know, shitting I all over it. Like I said, all the way to my senior year, I held that shit in, you know, relationship wise. I fucking ghosted on everybody. I still ghost on them. You know, I'm never fully a hundred percent with any person I'm ever with. You know what? I've realized that like, I don't appreciate the person's presence anymore. I just appreciate that they're there. And I know that may sound fucked up, but it's all because of that girl, dude. You know, that girl really fucked me up. So this one girl affected your whole life in the manner of abandonment issues. I mean, you obviously put yourself out there on the line for her and tried to give her something nice and she pretty much shit on you. Not to rub salt in the wound or anything. How long after that did it take you to actually even ask somebody or like go into a relationship you know, I, I tinkered in dating, you know, all the way. Dude, I was a player, man. I, you know, hop from girl to girl to girl. And so it was when my junior year, I had moved to Kingston and I was seeing a couple girls there, but it was the last girl that I dated that really put the fucking ban hammer on everybody after, man. And uh, we were, we were dating and then she was leaving to go to boot camp uh her son her junior summer because she was going to go uh active when she graduated the next year so that summer man i fucking dedicated my life to this girl while she was away like i wrote her letters every single day dude i was working with my buddy cody doing construction keeping myself busy gaining money so when she got back i could do something dope for her you know what i'm saying and everything was good you know we I met her family down in Detroit. I took her to her hotel room so uh, she could leave for the, to go to the boot camp. And dude, yet again, man, I got in her parents' vehicle and I cried like a little bitch, dude. Keith Urban fucking popped on and it just, <laughs> it just twinked to something in my heart, man. <laughs> for real, dude. And uh, so on the way, I, you know, while she was at boot camp, dude, I was going to her parents' house, having dinner, coffee, hanging out with her family. Well, she's not even there. You know, I had gained such a closeness with her family. And then when she got back, dude, everything had changed. Everything went downhill. And, you know, at that point, I didn't understand because I wasn't in the military. You know, I didn't know what it was like being deplaced and having to fucking be on your own, depend on yourself. So when she got back, she was totally different in that aspect that she didn't need me no more you know she had just gone through boot camp and she had just been by herself so now that i've done everything i can understand the position that she was in but for her not to tell me or open up to me or even explain to me she just treated me like shit dude and it was so bad dude i didn't even graduate from kingston i went back to carroll my senior year and went to fucking high school dude she broke my heart dude for real and that is a common theme, especially with the military thing. 
because when you go into basic you come out a total different person with extremely different goals right and in that dynamic what you have is you have people on the outside living their lives carrying on and you're basically moving on mm -hmm. and it that's what it is when you join the military you move on you're not going back to that town you're not going back to that life until you're finished with whatever you're doing in this period of your life so like like you said you can understand i can understand as well but at the same time there has to be a communication beforehand right because that like you said that 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 traumatized you for quite a minute and even now man you know talking about it you know it's still fucked up because yeah i didn't know what she was going through and we've talked about it you know over the years i've realized like why didn't she tell me then you know what i'm saying and even with myself with all the girls that you know i've hurt and i've broken up and i've fucking shattered i've known i didn't communicate with them i had the hardest trouble communicating with them because like i said those past incidents where if i gave you something i was afraid you're gonna fucking throw it in the trash or you know if i put my all into you you were gonna fucking soul rate me so it's like what where did where does the females expect to think that men just are assholes for no reason you know what i'm saying i think more of it is like just the way our culture has evolved in time like back in the day what we would call romance would be considered stalking these days and that's when I say, what does it take to keep a relationship together? And how does past relationships affect people nowadays? The majority of women who do see men as assholes have dealt with men that were basically assholes their whole lives. And I'm not talking about just like in relationships, but I'm talking about in general altogether. And it led to an atmosphere right now where just being a gentleman and being cordial can be considered as toxic masculinity. Make you look like a creep. Exactly. And anything could do it. I've actually had people say shit to me because I've held the door open for them. Right. Little do they know that I hold the door open for everybody. If I'm approaching the door, man, woman, child, it doesn't matter to me. I'm courteous. I was, I'm a Southern gentleman. So we lost that chivalry romance thing somewhere between third wave feminism and chad douchebaggery right you know the frat boy mentality which took over for quite a while in the in the late 90s popping your collar exactly who wants to even dwell down that memory lane you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the the difference of today and yesterday the greatest generation and today's generation and you see it in more things than just romance the way we carry ourselves how we're more radical by nature it seems the counterculture has caught up to the times where if you are a little bit outrageous a little bit more extreme then you're the norm but if you do adhere to those old traditional values that romance seemed to bloom and thrive more frequently like back in the old days, then you would be considered not normal in these climates. Right. You know what I'm saying? And we've seen, and we've seen the difference of it. 
the one thing about that that lounge at what i really loved about it was not only that all the couples were there one of the greatest things that we seen was we had a couple walk in that just got married yeah and they talked to the performer and he did a little show for them for their their wedding yeah she was in her white dress he was in his tuxedo Fancy. you know half drunkenly with his bow tie off and we everybody so got in they shared this special moment of romance and these these weren't young spring chickens. I mean, they're beautiful nonetheless. They're, they're what would you say, late 40s, early 50s? Yeah, I would say around there. So they were probably, they might have even been on their second marriage. Maybe they found what they were looking for. But the thing is, they decided to share that moment with everybody. And we actually seen how in love they were at that moment. Exactly. And it seemed like it, it just kind of like infected the whole room, didn't it? Everybody got up and started dancing right along with them. And it was just one of the moments where... If you were to stop time and see everybody from all around the... Because, you know, this is Vegas. This isn't fucking some shithole where it's the same people you see every single day. Like, this is people from all around the world that were coming together just to share something. And it reflected that in the crowd. Exactly. Because in the one corner, we had a bunch of guys, you know, wearing cowboy hats. Next to them, you could obviously tell this couple was from somewhere where we're like at Midwest. A uh, black guy and uh, his wife then I'm pretty sure the people in front of us were German. So you had all these people come together, share this moment, not have a care in the world, dance, laugh, have fun. And, and nobody noticed a difference in each other. No, nope. you know, and it was, it was a beautiful moment altogether. And it was in that moment that we realized that there was a big disconnect from relationships of then and now. Now we've talked about our first love, or your first love, perhaps, what changes through maturing as an adult? Like, what was your later relationships like? And how did that change you and your outlook? Well, uh, like I said, um, I had a pretty rough time after, you know, that girl and I broke up my junior year. I ended up my senior year dating this girl that I had wanted to date my whole high school career, man. And, you know, I was thinking about her the other day and just wondering how she was doing because like, I know emotionally, like I fucked this girl up like really bad because she was a saint, dude. When I mean a saint, like she went to church every Wednesday and Sunday. Like she just, her family was very Christian. Like, and to date someone like me, you know, it was kind the of roofing like, from the other side of the tracks. Yeah, it was like off the wall. But, you know, I wanted to be with her so bad. But I ended up uh, I ended up breaking her heart. Dude. I ended up fucking over on, at prom. I, she, we ended up we were supposed to go to prom together and everything. And then I ended up leaving her high and dry. It was an asshole move. And, you know, like I said, I take the fault for it now. And even then I took the fault for it because seeing her dressed up, you know, in her dress and shit like, dude, uh, I, even now I regret it, man. But, you know, I, I learned. I think you answered one of your questions from earlier is why do women think that most men are assholes? <laughs> yeah, because, because we're fuckers like me. Yep. You Shit know, like that. I finally, I graduated high school. I My first, my first adult relationship, I was dating this girl, Stephanie, um, that. No names. We, we started working together at the lighthouse because that was my first adult job 
you know, and the lighthouse is uh, a rehab uh, facility, yeah. you know, and so I end up and we end up hanging out and meeting up and dude, even the simplest times of, you know, cause we had worked different schedules. So even, you know, spending 15, 20 minutes together made me appreciate time. It made me appreciate being with someone and stuff. And like now she made me realize that cause she was older than me. She was a few years older than me. And at that time she made me realize like love can exist. You know, it wasn't the money. It wasn't the fancy shit. Like it was just the time that, that separated she was the definitely the start of my relationships being an adult how did that affect you now i mean because you're a single guy now you've been through the whole marriage divorce, divorce like and that. all that did that play into how you coped in your marriage with losing her or uh it was you know it would be different if i would have been a civilian at the time but, you know, I was just getting into the military and getting displaced everywhere and going here and there. And I just had a million things going on. So it kind of just destroyed my marriage. My marriage wasn't, it wasn't the marriage. Like I said, it was the military that just caused a lot of stress. So that was just kind of a phase for me. The military just does yeah. that to relationships in general. I noticed like with my, with my own personal life, I don't like to talk about relationships. I don't like to talk about love. I don't operate on emotional. Technically speaking, I could be considered a sociopath. I thought you were single as fuck. Yeah, and I'm quite fine with that. Why? Where it started stemming was literally from the military. You know, when I joined the military, I had already had a family. I had children. I had a life. And I lost that in the civilian world. And I realized that there was something wrong with me at that point in time. I tried to fight it. I went through the military. I actually had the very first true love of my life. Now, I don't say that to put down my ex, my children's mother. But at the time when we got together, we were basically high school sweethearts. We didn't know who we were at the time. And it wasn't like we fought and it was a treacherous breakup we just kind of grew apart we got to that point in our lives where we realized this isn't the type of person that i want to be with not in a bad way but we were just two different people than who we were five years ago right so my first true love was this italian woman it was when i was stationed in italy and i had fought being in a relationship for so long because I had already been in military for a couple years and I just seen it decimate like every relationship that I've ever seen like whether it was infidelity or just time spent away this or that the military just put a lot of strain on all the relationships that I seen personally around me so I didn't want to get involved with that I had a goal in mind I had something that I wanted to do and I had to build myself as a soldier, as a human being. I had to become that perfect person for somebody out there. Right. And I couldn't be that perfect person for somebody out there unless I worked on me. And I became the perfect person for me. So when I finally decided that, you know, maybe I'm that person, I met this Italian girl and I asked her out on a date. And it was funny because we had known each other in passing we hung out with the same group of friends 
quite a few times. And I remember her telling me that out of all the times that I've been out with soldiers and friends and everything like that, nobody's ever actually asked me out on a date. It's always, hey, we're going here, we're going there, you want to come with the group, we're going to go with the group, or I invite somebody to go with the group. You're the first person to ever sit down and ask me cordially on a date. Were you scared as fuck when you did? Uh, I'm never scared. No, but like, um, how do I... Because, you know, the no, chance no. of being turned down is always no, good. No, no. You see, and that's one of the... That's, that's a good thing and a bad thing for me. Confidence is something I've never been lacking in. Speaking to people is something I've never been lacking in. Even when you're supposed to be emotionally involved in something as intimate as asking a girl out on a date or a promotion or anything like that. Right. I just, I see it, it could happen one of two ways. It could be good. It could be bad. And if it's bad, you know what? It's a numbers game. I can go ahead, move on very systematically. And if I find somebody else that I like, then I'll probably ask them. Now, when I asked her out on a date, I'm not saying that I fell in love with her at that moment. You know, because we had known each other. We had talked in passing. So when I asked her out, I didn't really have too much of an emotional involvement. It was like, I'm really attracted to this woman. And she seems to be very smart, intelligent, which attracts me more than anything overlooks is whether or not you can carry a conversation. Yeah. And for me, that's very hard to find. And this beautiful woman rolled with the punches and threw them back at me. And I was just like, I got to talk to this girl more on a personal level, not partying with a bunch of friends at a bar over a couple shots. Right. So I asked her out on a date. She tells me she's never been asked, you know, in this period of her life. Obviously she's probably been asked when she was younger. You know, we were both in our late twenties at the time and we go, I take her out to this dinner you know, like a Southern gentleman does. I pay for the dinner. I hold her door open. I do everything that a man is supposed to do. Did you hear what I said? Are you listening, listeners? Everything that a man is supposed to do. You be chivalrous. That's just the way it is. She had never had anybody like that. You know, most of the people that she had dated before, they pretty much had one thing on their mind because of how attractive she is so they skipped all the the intricacies that is involved with stuff like that right stuff that my mama told me not to you know neglect so i took her out on a date we ended up talking we ended up hitting it off i was like screw it we're in europe we can go anywhere we want we did the club thing we did the bar thing we did the traveling thing and i fell in love with her and i even learned a different language for this woman which is something if I don't want to do something, you can't get me to do it. And she never forced me to do it. I wanted to do it. Out of love. Yeah. I I absolutely love this woman. And lo and behold, the big green weenie hit once again. You know, they told me you're getting, you know, I knew that my time on station was going to be so long. So, you know, I had the ring, you know, marriage, everything was all in the works. And, they tell me you're going to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. After all of your training that you have to do, then you're going to go ahead and go to North Carolina. And, and I broke the news to her. I was like, this is awesome. We can go back and start life. And she hit me with the bomb. Cause you were to, 
for the listeners, you were actually in Italy. Like she's Italian in Italy. Yes. Yeah. She was born in Venato in the Venetian region. She was born probably about 45 minutes away from Venice. Okay. I mean, where I was stationed at in Italy, you know, I jump on a train. I'm in Venice in like a half hour, 45 minutes. So I tell her, you know, we're going to go start life in America. It's going to be great. You know, I'm stable financially. I'm going to be this badass motherfucker, this operator level son of a bitch. And she breaks the bomb on me. She drops the bomb on me saying, well, I don't want to go to America. That was never in the cards for me. We had never really discussed it. We talked about traveling, but she herself was Italian and she loved Italy. Her family was there. Her friends were there. She didn't want to come over. So ultimately I had to go ahead and step aside and break that off. And I regret, I regret it to this day. I wish that I would have found a way to make it work. Tried to either reenlist the state, go back, talk her into coming here, but I never did. And that affected me even worse. Have you, you know, talked to her since? I, I talked to her at least twice a year. Okay. And she's still beautiful as ever. Serena, I still love you. I'm just saying. We're friends now. Cool. And uh, she she has a child uh, and uh, a significant other. Cool. A domestic partner, as they call them. Oh, all right. I don't really know what that term means these days, which falls into an argument. Where's the disconnect from romance into now? Yeah, because like, the relationship levels, man, you know, it's funny how you, like you said earlier about, you know, if someone said no, you could always go to the next one, you know. I remember we call that Tinder now because <laughs> <laughs> I remember dude in eighth grade, like I said, that girl Heather broke my fucking heart. And well, in eighth grade, there's a dance. There's a middle school dance at the end of the year. Well, you know, there was no MySpace. There was no fucking Tinder. There's no Facebook, nothing, you know, <laughs> everybody, no cell phones. everybody carried a little black book with phone numbers in it. You remember that? <laughs> dude, I had one. Yeah. yeah. And cause there was no, no even cell phones, you know, the pay phones were everywhere. And what is that? <laughs> For you young listeners, a payphone are these phones that were on like every other corner <laughs> and you can either pay Just a drop dime. Them. Yep. Yeah. That's where the term dropping a dime comes from. There. Oh, now you guys all learned something. Damn. I didn't even know that. Yeah. But, uh, so fucking, I wanted to ask this girl to the eighth grade grad and I only had 35 cents and you needed 50 cents to call. Dude, <laughs> when I mean, I literally cut somebody's fucking yard i literally mowed their grass for 50 cents so i could make that phone call that's dedication right there. now that now ambition craziness whatever it was but you know as i think about now it made me realize like dude i mowed somebody's yard just for the chance to talk to that person for a yes or no now Nowadays, I can literally just fucking pick somebody's phone up, text a number, and hey, I want an answer here or there. And there was no dedication. There was no feeling. There was no thought into it. Yeah, because, you know, dick pics, bobs, and vagina are just, you know, frequent on your phone. (laughs) And so, you know, these relationship levels now, before, you know, people were, if you weren't at home, you missed their call. And you had to either wait till you got home to talk to that person or my uncle that fucking walked miles and miles to meet his, you know, to hang out with his wife that they've been together ever since, you know? So there was the older generation, you know, and even thinking about it now, fuck, I'm getting old, you know? So fucking, 
you know, I did some crazy shit just for love. And now, you know, I won't even return a fucking Facebook message if I don't feel like it has any benefit for me. And I know that sounds, I know that sounds horrible. And That's I know very that sounds, shallow. I know that sounds fucked up, but it's because I do have choice now. Back and, then I didn't. So I put everything into something when I wanted it. Now that I can have a whole fucking feast, it's like, I don't want that chicken bone. You know what I'm saying? Like, exactly. it's no point for that. Well, back in the days, was, was, like you said, you literally had to wait around all day for a phone call sometimes. And you were dedicated to do that because you couldn't reach out to 50 people with the swipe of a thumb. Right. You, you know, if... The only thumb swiping that we actually had back in those days were swiping through the pages of the yellow book. Oh, the Sears or the white pages. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you also had those kinds of love. But I think that's more of a lust thing than a love thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> hold on. We crack ourselves up sometimes. <laughs> All right. So obviously we see that we're kind of more desensitized to when it comes to romance because romance is at the, f the flick of your thumb. It's at the button on your iPhone, the button on your Android, whatever social media device you want. You could pick it up. You can cast a net. And it sounds really bad when you say it like that because you're not out there fishing. But it's true. But that's exactly. Yeah, it's true. You're casting a wide net. That's a net we didn't have back in those days. So whoever you came in contact to is who you got. <laughs> exactly. You, you didn't have a choice. So, I mean, even for people in, in the more rural areas where you're like, how did they end up with them? It's like, well, because that's all they, they got. They really didn't have much choice. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Because you can't reach out to somebody out in, you know, a different oh, town. Fuck Egypt, yeah. We get desensitized to the fact that we can't have such a big net. And not only that, the advent of porn. Yeah. Porn is... One of the biggest things, what's funny is Facebook just had a drop in their service. And Pornhub spiked. Yeah, Pornhub spiked at that time. They said it was an ungodly amount of spikes <laughs> that they had ever seen. So it goes to tell you, when it comes to relationships, you can go and build a pseudo relationship online. But if that is not there, then you can automatically just go to the quick fix. Isn't that fucked up? That Which is Pornhub. Yeah, you can, you know, them people... A, spent more worry about fucking Facebook and Instagram shutting down than their own government. But two, they could have literally went outside and hung out with their fan, you know, friends, family. They could have went and fucking for a hike or, you know, whatever. But no, they sat inside and beat it to <laughs> Pornhub. So well, not that tells you that people don't want to fucking go outside and go talk to anybody no more. If they can't just literally look at their phone and fucking socialize it that way then they don't want nothing to do with it. And that's why when you walk into a bar back in, you know, back in our day, fuck when I got, when I was 21, dude, bars, you didn't see people fucking picking up their phones, taking Snapchats, you know, they were living in the moment with their friends and family because all week long they were busting their ass to go make a dollar so they could go to their water hole and they could socialize. Exactly. And now you walk into a fucking water hole and everybody's just looking at their fucking phone. Like they're zombies. Yeah, it's, it's, it's sad because you look at the bar and all it is is a bunch of like lights and it's like, what the fuck is it Christmas? No, those are all cell phones right. because they're trying to reach out and talk to somebody 
But there's somebody three feet away from them. That's who wants to take their time and listen exactly. to them. And, and hear they might have a more interesting story than the Instagram model that you've been trying to talk to for the past month. Dude, she's not going to fucking answer you back. Get and hey is not a fucking, <laughs> hey is not a game changer, bro. Like that is not a game changer. You know, I had a friend that sent me a message uh, the other day and she asked me if I could that we could speak on this question because this kind of integrates with the question that, you know, we're working on now. And she asked, where's the romance? Like, why do some guys think that once they land the girl, they don't need to keep it up. It's like some think, well, I got her and she isn't going anywhere. So the flower just because or the random text, you know, throughout the day telling them that they're thinking about them is just gone. Why do you feel that? Why do you, do you feel that way? Do you feel like you fucking stop chasing someone once you got them? Well, I can't speak on a personal level because I stopped chasing people a long time ago. I've sworn off relationships and basically all physical contact for quite some time. I do know what she's saying and I can throw that in. I mean, we've seen that with the older people that were in the lounge. I mean, you kind of imagine that it's not something that just gonna go stale and run a course you got to work on it like she said it's not something that okay i got it and it's gonna be there that's how divorces and that's how the seven year itch happens you know what i'm saying right it's something that people have to work on and you got to have the patience patience is the downfall to everything exactly because then that's why we talk about casting that big net having the choice it's most guys especially now from when I talk to people who get on these websites, we'll talk maybe two, three sentences. And if it doesn't start leaning towards the carnal side of the conversation, most people will just go ahead and kill it. Right. And that's what it is. We're in a era of instant gratification. And if you can't get that instant gratification at that point in time, then it no longer matters. I now, agree. if you work on it and you keep it going and you find something good, then you're going to want to keep on going. You're going to want to keep on working on it. You know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure that old man that we seen, the way that that old lady was looking at that guy, there were stars in her eyes. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Most of it. She was so happy to be next to him. And you can tell that, you know what? It's not, uh, it's our anniversary. We're going to go do something special. It's probably, that that old man, he had snazz and pizzazz. You know oh, what I'm yeah, saying? He, he knew what it was to be a man back when it was to be a man. And it's simple things, like your friend said. Leaving For him, it would be like leaving a note on the mirror before he goes away to work. You know? I love you, honey. I can't wait to see you when I get back from work. Or... Something like that. Nowadays, you can't do stuff like that because, I mean, it just seems kind of cheesy. There's no instant gratification. I know one of the things with my ex in Italy that she told me that she appreciated a lot were the good morning texts. And when I am in a relationship, I do like to do that for my significant other. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll text her. I'd be like, good morning, beautiful. How was your sleep? How was your day? And I'll text them throughout the day. Just, it doesn't even need to be reciprocated. You know what I mean? Right. That's a bit of the romantic part. You know, if I, there's this girl now that I do have an eye for. Uh, she lives all the way across the country. So there's obviously a real big disconnect there. And even though I don't see a relationship blooming there, me and her like to talk. Okay. So I do send her random texts throughout the week. 
you know, good morning, beautiful. How you doing? I have my own language, the way that I talk to people, you know. This is just the generic version. No, what I call. <laughs> no, no. I am a romantic at heart, you know, when it comes down to something that I want to pursue. But I notice that nowadays, if there's not an instant gratification, people just don't want to deal with it. And that's why you have so many relationships to fall apart so quickly and so easily. You know what I'm saying? And you know what's the thing? I always talk about history modernization itself. I, it always repeats itself, you know. Every thousand years we go through the same shit. You know, I've told you this numerous times. And back in their day, like you said, you know, he probably left a note or, you know, sent flowers from work or, you know, something to make her Pipped happy. Picked a flower on the way back and gave it Exactly. To her. You know, because in their day, when they left a note, it's because they couldn't talk, text each other all day. You know, they couldn't fucking pick up a business phone and reach out to them because they were at work. Nowadays, that's the problem with relationships, man. When you're at work, you should be focusing about work. When you are at home, you should be focusing about home. Don't bring work home and don't bring home to work because they do not fucking mix. You're going to end up losing in one way or the other. Exactly. And because the thing is, is that if you do, that person that you're with is going to be expecting a good morning text. They're going to be expecting, you know, this or that. And if you don't, it's going to make them feel off. Like there's something wrong. And then the second that there's something feeling wrong, there's going to create an issue. And even if there isn't an issue, it's going to wave like that because that's what we're used to. Think about when you fucking a person that does Coke, you rail line, instant gratification. I'm high. There's no fucking if, and, or but, you're fucked up. Then you go down. Now, if I stop taking fucking cocaine, I don't you have the instant gratification. Now what? Now descending. I feel weird. Now I feel weird. Now I feel off. Now I feel like something abandoned me. So that's that's how I feel this generation is like. If I don't tell you I love you, you know, once an hour, if I don't tell you I miss you once an hour, it makes you feel like I don't love you and I don't miss you. But at the time, it's not even that. It's I'm trying to build our empire and protect my queen, but I can't do both at the same time. When I'm home with my queen, that's my focus. That's who I care about, my empire right there. But when I'm going and fucking slaving for this empire, you gotta respect that. And I'm talking about with male, men too. I know how many motherfucking men are more like bitches than anything. If they're female, don't give them attention 100%. If they're, how many fucking people, man, there's this girl that I, on my Facebook that her boyfriend stole her cigarettes while she was at work would fucking eat all her food would fucking use her money would steal from her friends steal from her kids steal from her kids man that's some bitch shit it's like why for what reason and like you said it answers my question from earlier why do females feel like fucking all men are assholes it's because the majority of the men now are assholes because we're not taught how to be men exactly these days because like when i looked up the people I looked up to were fucking slanging it to every fucking female known to man. And they were the dude, you know, they were the people that you partied with. They were the people that you were friends with. They were the fucking it. And that's who I looked up to. I, man, I wanted to be with every single girl. I wanted everybody to know my name. I wanted to be popular and I did it. You know, there's, I, you could fucking talk to a lot of people in our area and they know a story about me or two, but you know what? At the, at what I think about now, those stories destroyed a lot of people. You know, those stories that were fun at that moment fucking caused a Everything lot of Everything has the consequence. Exactly. And now that I'm older, or at least I'm getting older, I'm starting to realize, man, like I shouldn't have done the shit that I did, but I don't regret it. 
I don't regret in that aspect because I could have been doing all the perfect stuff when I was younger and turn into a complete shitbag when I'm older. So, you know, I could have been perfect for six years and spend 18 to the day I die being a fucking complete sleazeball. But at least now I spent from the time to, you know, very, this very moment that we're talking to make me realize like, dude, I got to be a different person. If I want, you got to better yourself, not for the world, but also yourself but and for then myself, the world yeah. can, can follow. Exactly. Cause like when we were even talking about hiking, you know, before fuck dude, I'd have been dragging ass, huffing and puffing my fucking fat <laughs> ass up. The, but dude, you know, losing all that weight and putting myself into that made me feel so much better. And it made me realize, you know, if I was to take the time to actually listen to somebody and have empathy and, you know, relate to what they're going on, I'll have a better relationship with somebody. My communication will be a lot better with a lot of people. And empathy is something that, that we lack a lot. Dude. A lot. Really. And when we say that chivalry died, empathy just is what brings somebody closer to another person. They, they empathize with that person. And we live now with more cynicism than empathy. I mean, I remember one time as we were talking about little gestures, I remember I was, I had a little crush on this one girl. This was when I was in the military and she worked in the S shop and, uh, I would go in there cause I had my jobs, uh, you know, processing soldiers and I would talk to her from now and then and we would flirt, you know, back and back and forth. And I guess maybe I took a wrong cue or whatever it was, but I remember walking in one day and right before I walked in, it was springtime. It was North Carolina and there was all these beautiful purple flowers all over the place. Right. Right. So I picked one. And I went in, I, I did my work. I went, I stopped by your desk and I gave her the flower. And I was like, I seen this pretty flower and I thought of you. Yeah, that's sweet. Oh, you know <laughs> right. what I mean? She looked at it, smelled it, laughed. And she was just like, I could have picked this. They're outside. And she threw it away. Oh, damn. And it wasn't that she was trying to be mean, but she's just cynical. Right. Because we live. Cynicism, I'm a very cynical person, but cynicism thrives in a very negative part when it comes to romance now what do you mean by being cynical well you take things at face value but you don't put too much stock into it you know what i mean okay to her that flower was something she could just pick she didn't see that i was giving it to her because i had a crush on her it was like a penguin bringing a pebble yeah she she just seen it as uh you know me messing around because to her i was just a friend like i said i got mixed signals but after she took it and she threw it away, I realized that signal is gone. I know exactly <laughs> what that signal is and I'm no longer going to pursue it. So I started treating her like a buddy. Right. Uh, eventually the buddy thing didn't work with her. She started showing some feelings, but by that time I was already emotionally checked out. But that's how, that's the real fucked up thing. Cause like in the beginning of wedding, uh, wedding crashes, when that girl comes up to Vince Vaughn and he's, she's like, you know, I got a friend that you really love. And he's like, well, you know, I could start liking her and she not like me. And then, you know, she liked me and I not like her. And then all of a sudden, you know, we go in and have this fucked up conversation. And, and that's kind of how it is with relationships nowadays. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't try to go after somebody. And then when it doesn't work because they don't reciprocate it, or if they try to go into you and you don't reciprocate it, it kind of leaves like when it, like a burnt tip. You know what I'm saying? One side may be good, but the other side's fucked up. And then when you guys try to go from whatever weird phase you're in to a friendship phase, it kind of feels like 
kind of feels like you're forced into something. Like you really, your feelings are It becomes are a real that. awkward stage. Yeah, and it, that's like a fucked up thing because like we're, I was talking about levels of relationship, you know, before, you know, I fucking pushed the lawns, mowed the lawn just so I could fucking get a phone call. And now I fucking won't even respond to a Facebook message. So it's like, in the beginning, it was like, write a letter. Now we're dating. You know, now we're fucking for a certain amount of time. Now we're engaged and now we're married. Now it's, we're talking. Now we're Facebook official. Now we're fucking however so many long, you know, and then engagement. And it's all about public opinion. It, if you look at it, and it, I've been studying it for a while secretly. If you look at people who put themselves in relationships, and if they don't have a certain amount of likes or loves or laughs or whatever, they end up breaking up. It's a fucking weird thing to see, and I bet you one day it's going to get proven because it's public opinion, public persona. If I have 700 friends and I only have three likes on my relationship, there's an issue. There's a problem. See, so before, what you're generally looking for is outside acceptance. Yeah, because just like back in the day, hey, I'm going to go date this person. What do you think? And your friend would tell you. And if it was fucked up, you you know, whatever. But then all of a sudden, a bunch of people told you it was fucked up or that person was this or that. Then you end up breaking up. You, so now You wouldn't even pursue the relationship. Exactly. The so now it's modernization. Like I said, now it's fucking official to where people are seeing this now. And so if I got 700 fucking Joe Schmoes that are... I, apparently our friends and don't like the person I'm dating. I bet you, I bet you that there's a high chance that we're not going to end up together because nobody now we're in the age of tagging everybody, tagging everybody in memes and fucking, you know, leaving them in comment sections. You know, when you don't, when people start untagging themselves from things and people stop talking to you because of the relationship that fucking puts a barrier now. And now that now we're, like you said, we've come into a roulette wheel where, okay, I don't like her. Let's throw the ball back in and see what Johnny gets next. And it's fucked up. Yeah. And it all comes down to the way social media and the way technology is affecting our instant gratification. That's actually going to be an episode that we want to carry on either next week or the next session we want to talk about technology and how it's affecting us economically as well as socially a social level so with that this is the meat popsicle otherwise known as that guy and this is el rocho with that said we're out till the next trip man